If you would go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20 contains what we've been in for the last couple of months, and that is the Ten Commandments. I don't know how you can make the Ten Commandments take more than 10 weeks, but we're, <laughs> we're doing it. Um, I have absolutely been blown away uh, by God's word, the, the depth of these commands. I mean, again, these are these 10 commandments, most likely all of us grew up at least familiar with them, if not forced to memorize them. Um, and yet God's word has so much more to say um, than, than just what we see on the surface if we're willing to dig. So Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, this will be the sixth commandment, the command against murder. I wouldn't go so far as to call murder biblical. That might be a weird way of phrasing it, but the Bible is absolutely filled from cover to cover with murder. You think about it, you scarcely, in my Bible, you turn on the third page, you have the very first murder. Chapter four, Adam and Eve have two sons, Cain and Abel, and Cain murders his brother Abel. They're out in the field and he, he murders him and he buries him. Uh, then, then we think about uh, before you even get out of chapter four, there's a man named uh, Lamech, Lamech, and he boasts that he killed a man for wounding him. So that's the idea of like, he punched me in the shoulder, I killed him. He's boasting about that, that we call that murder. That's before you're even out of chapter four again. Then by the time you get to chapter six, the Bible just makes this blanket statement. I've got it up there on the screen. It's Genesis 6, uh, 11 through 13. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. So by the time you get to chapter six of the Bible, God is ready to wipe out the whole world because there's so much violence and murder, <coughs> excuse me. So God, you know, obviously he, he uh, saves Noah and his family in the ark, but God is starting with a clean slate. But even there uh, in chapter nine, as he sends them out, he says, be fruitful and multiply. Then he tells them how they need to respond the next time murder happens. You say, well, I thought you cleaned the slate. Eh, still, still sinners on the earth because he kept Noah and the family. And so uh, you get to Genesis chapter 12 and uh, later you see Abraham lie about Sarah being his wife when they go down into Egypt. Why? He says, they will desire you, Sarah. You're very beautiful. They will want you and they will kill me. So evidently, by the time you get to Abraham's time, murder was still a very big problem and it just continues on and on and on and on. I could uh, not bore you, but I, I could spend a very long time listing out the murders in the Bible. But murder isn't just a Bible times problem, is it? We lock our doors at night. There are times we're driving through certain neighborhoods or parts of town that we quickly lock our car doors. Parents are afraid to send their children to school. Right now, we have a security team watching over this campus. Why? Because churches are not safe. Murders happen in them each year. 
And this is just from our relatively insulated uh, position on this globe. We, we, we live in a highly civilized, you know, uh, Western society where it is taboo to murder, and yet it still happens continually. Uh, I read one government website said that in 2021 alone, so in one year, uh, there were 20, over 26,000 homicides in the United States. So homicide is when someone kills the other person purposefully. 26,000 homicides in the United States in one year alone. And I mean, you do some math there, that's over 70 murders a day just in the United States. Again, a highly civilized, relatively wealthy nation where the murder rates are lower than much of the world. But that's what the government calls murder. But we know if we believe the Bible that there are more things that, that the Bible calls murder that, that maybe our government doesn't. I think about the abortions of pre-born children, suicide, and even assisted suicide, all of which the Bible calls murder, even if our legal system does not. I mean, and so the 26,000 a year, 70 a day, that sounds like a big number until you realize that uh, it's somewhere in the ballpark of 1 million abortions a year in the United States alone. That's 2,800 murders a day, every single day. All of this because people refuse to obey the sixth commandment. It says there in Exodus 20, verse 13, you shall not murder. And before we get to the end of this, what we're going to realize is that it's not just those bad people out there who are murderers. We're gonna realize that this command applies to all of us and that all of us are transgressors of this command. We're gonna see the horror of murder. We're gonna see the heart of murder. And hopefully that will lead us to desperately desire the hope of murder that we see in God's word. Now, I do wanna make a distinction here. Uh, the, the King James Version translated this verse as thou shalt not kill. That's probably the way you learned it as a kid. Thou shalt not kill, kill. And, and that's not uh, technically incorrect, but the, the problem with that translation, thou shalt not kill instead of thou shalt not murder or you shall not murder, is that kill is, is too broad. It is not specific enough. And, and what I mean by that is in the Hebrew, there are multiple words for killing that, that span a whole different spectrum of, of things. And that there are words that are just plain killing, but there are also Hebrew words for murder, the sinful unlawful taking of life. And what I mean by that is um, the, the Bible, in my view, from my understanding to the best of, of, of my uh, wisdom by God's grace, I do not believe that the Bible endorses full-scale pacifism, that, that all killing is murder. I, I don't believe the Bible teaches that. And I just wanna make sure we understand that. It would be odd to honor the armed services and then to condemn them in the sermon by saying, well, they killed people and, you know, no, it, they, they, what they were doing is right. And again, we'll, we'll see this uh, more later, but God has authority over death and life, but God has extended, God has delegated that authority in certain instances and to certain institutions. The government, along with their armies, along with the police force is one of those. 
in addition, I would say, again, we see in, in Genesis 9, 6, God institute capital punishment. That, that someone who sheds man's blood by man shall their blood be shed. These are all, all things that we are, are going to see a little bit more, but I would even say self-defense. Um, the Bible would not call murder, it would call killing. Killing in, in self-defense or protecting of a family, a father protecting a family. And so I just wanna make sure we understand the command God gave in Genesis, or not Genesis, Exodus uh, 20, verse 13, was not a broad command. Now, there, there, it's got some, some width to it, but it is not as broad as thou shalt not kill. It is thou shalt not murder. God used a specific word when he spoke this to the people of Israel. But again, this is a huge problem, both in biblical times and in our day as well. And so let's pray and ask that God would take this, what feels like a far off, unapplicable command and that he would apply it to our hearts today. Let's pray together. Father God, we recognize that all of your word is profitable in our lives. If we will receive it as a word from you, if we will truly allow you to search our hearts, to penetrate our self-defenses, we all have that inner lawyer that says, I'm not guilty of this. I don't need grace in this area. And Lord, I pray that you would uncover that for us today, Lord, and that you would shock us with how terrible murder is and how we are so often uh, guilty of it, but that you would reveal the hope behind murder, Lord. God, I pray all these things in the name of Jesus, amen. So I do want to begin today just with talking about the horror of murder. It kind of feels uh, odd that I'm, I'm starting with this, the horror of murder. Like you don't already know that murder is horrible. Well, what I actually wanna make sure is that you know how horrible it actually is. Because I think we all know uh, at some degree that, that murder is horrible because it hurts humanity, right? That's just the most service, surface level idea. Mur murder hurts humanity. Everyone involved or even close to the situation is hurt or grieved by murder. I mean, you obviously can think of the ones who they lost their loved one to murder and the way they grieve over that, the way they're, they're angered and torn up inside because their loved one was murdered. You can even think of the one who commits the murder. Was committing the murder good for them? Did it accomplish good in their life? Did it, did it free them from, from the, the, the struggles and darkness in their heart? No, they committed that murder. And, and what, what happens is whether or not they, they are you know, um, hard-hearted, they, they will still be filled with more regret and self-loathing. And then you think about the whole community is hurt by murder. Again, uh, we, we have a security team at this church, not because we have had a shooting here, but because it has happened around so many times. And so there's this fear and terror that is stricken into a community because of murder. There's this distrust of one another because of murders that happen in community. You know, we, we just no longer live in the day that we can let our kids play out in the front yard or, or you know, walk down to the, the corner store. Like we can't do that because there's so much fear and distrust. Murder hurts humanity, but that is merely the surface. I'm not saying God doesn't care about that or that that's unimportant, the pain it brings to us and to our communities and even to the murderer. 
but that is only scratching the surface of the horror of murder. The next thing the Bible will show us is that murder disregards God's authority. In a word, God is the author of life. He's the author of life. There are no other authors of life. We, you, you may have made a child through you know, your reproductive practices, but you did not author that child. God knit that child together in your womb and that other person out there, God knit them together. So because God is the author of life, God alone has authority over life and death. And so what that means is, to murder another person not only disregards God's authority to give us commands, like, hey, don't murder. It also disregards God's authority over life. It is putting ourselves in his place saying, I will choose when this person's life ends, not God. Now, again, God has extended or delegated authority to humanity in some instances. Again, we think about uh, government. You can see that in Romans 13 very clearly. Uh, By the way, Jesus did not tell the soldiers to lay down their sword and go get a real job. He said, quit, quit, quit abusing your power. That's what Jesus said uh, to, to the soldiers. Them being a soldier who had to use the sword, wield the sword um, of the government, even for death, Jesus did not consider a sin because God had extended, delegated that authority. And then again, I wanna show you this verse just to make sure we're all on the same page. Genesis 9, 6, this is after the flood. God says this, whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed. And so that would be, you know, capital punishment. That would be someone commits murder, they are put to death. So God has delegated this authority. But in all other instances, other than those exceptions, in all other instances, to choose to take another person's life or even our own life is murder. And it is a disregard, an utter disregard for God's sovereign authority. It is saying, you are not gonna tell me what to do. I am going to take your authority and I am going to choose to take life whenever I want. This is the the first step, but again, it's not yet the biggest reason that murder is horrific. The third reason the Bible shows us very clearly is that murder dishonors God's image. Murder dishonors God's uh, image. Uh, We actually see this in in Genesis 9, 6, that, that same one about capital punishment. You see that there on the top of the screen. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by by man shall his blood be shed. Why, Why is God giving that command that someone should be put to death for murder? For God made man in his own image. The reason the penalty is so severe is because the infraction, the sin is so severe. They have sinned against a person made in God's own image. They have smothered, they have snuffed out a person made in God's own image. And we see the foundation for that in Genesis 1, 26. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image, the image of God, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And so we could spend way too long on that, that part, but if we can say nothing else about that, that we are made in, in God's image, that mankind, male, female, all of us, 
made in God's image is that we were placed on this earth as little portraits, as living statues of God to reflect his glory to the world around us. You think about um, often in, in like uh, more, I, don't, I can't even think of the word right now, in imperialistic countries or whatever, usually ones that were dominated. Um, they have all these statues of their, their government leader. Now, almost every citizen hates that government leader, but that, that's what they do. They, they put these statues all over the place to remind you, this is my dominion. I am the ruler here. I am uh, the highest here, the most glorious here. What, what happens when there's a coup? <laughs> what, what happens when that government, that king, that whatever emperor is overthrown? What's the first thing they do? They tear down those images because that is the biggest disrespect, dishonor they can do. They say, you have ruined our lives. We hate you. And so they tear down those images. They, they burn them, they spray paint them, they do all these things. Understand that is what we do with God when we commit murder. We're taking an image of God. I don't have a bulletin up here, so I don't have anything I can tear. Hmm. It would be like having a picture of God, which we can't do, we don't make images anyway. Uh, it would be having a picture of God and saying, stomping on, I mean, this, this is what we're doing only to a far greater degree. This is the God of all glory. He has endowed this honor upon all humans, black, white, Hispanic, you know, like it's there, it's his glory. And we're saying, I don't care. That's a dishonor for God. Whether or not we realize that, whether or not we feel that way, by the blood of man, sorry, by man shall his blood be shed for God made man in his own image. This is weighty. This is just an absolute act of dishonor towards God that is worked out in murder. But what we need to see, because I think a lot of us are going to say, Okay, that, that's cool. I, I get that. That, that murder is horrible. Like I, I've, I've always felt that way. Um, I, I would never do that. But what we need to see next is the heart of murder. The heart of murder. The first thing we see is, is Matthew 7.21. Jesus talks about murder. He says, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these things come from within and they defile a person. Again, Mark, that's Mark 7, Jesus is speaking there. And, and so what Jesus is making very plain, this is kind of the first step that we need to see, is that no one can say, I accidentally murdered in that moment. It was just a lapse of judgment that, that's not who I am. I'm not really a murderer. I just committed murder. And what Jesus would say is that murder didn't come from nowhere. It actually came out of your heart. It was a murderous heart that you had. That, that, that's where the murder came from. This act of murder proceeds from our heart. But here's the next step we need to see. Matthew 5, 21 to 23, Jesus said this, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. That's the, the sixth commandment. 
and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. So I'm gonna pause there for a moment. So this, this is a, actually, they're, they're quoting uh, you shall not murder in the first half of that, but then there's an attached rabbinic saying. This is not a quotation of, of like the Old Testament or anything. This is a quotation of a uh, rabbinic saying, like the, the rabbis, the teachers, the religious leaders would say this, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. And so the idea there is, if you murder, there will be consequences on you. But look at what Jesus says. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. And just in case we're missing Jesus' point, John puts it this way. You see that 1 John 3, 15 Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. This is the heart of murder. When, when we commit physical murder, it comes from the heart. But what we need to think about is, well, then what separates me from, some, from someone sitting in a jail cell? What is it that, that what's the difference between a bitter, unforgiving person and someone who has actually committed physical murder. I mean, that's, that's hatred, right? This, this bitterness, this unforgiveness. Uh, what, what's the difference between someone who slings insults and someone who has literally slung a bullet? What's the difference between someone who is selfish and someone who has had an abortion? Here, here according to, to the, this passage, the difference is opportunity and the fear of temporal consequences. You see that? You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. He's saying the reason, I, I want to go a little deeper into this before I go further. Matthew 5 is, is the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Now, there's a great crowd around Jesus, but according to the text, Jesus is directing his words to the scribes and the Pharisees, okay? He's speaking to the self-righteous, self-righteous religious elites, and they are thinking in their minds, huh, we don't need this man. Who, who does he think he is coming in and teaching our people? Isn't that funny to say about the son of God, that their creator? Anyway, and so Jesus is saying, look, you feel all high and mighty because you haven't committed murder. Well, the only reason you haven't actually committed the murder physically is for fear of judgment. You haven't had the opportunity to do it and get away with it. You shall not murder and whoever murders it will be liable to judgment. But he, Jesus is saying, but what you do is you get angry at people. You, 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 you hurl insults at them. You say, you fool to other people and you think you're okay because you haven't actually committed murder. And Jesus is saying, you are wrong. You are a murderer from the heart. Whether or not you committed on the outside, the only thing that restrains that sin, and I would still say it's a gracious restrainment from God, is lacking the opportunity and the fear of consequences. Basically, if you could get away with it and if the consequences weren't too great, you'd have killed them. This is what Jesus is saying. And, and don't, don't miss the end there of um, Matthew 5.22. I've got it underlined, the, the upper verse, 5.22. The people who are angry, have these insults, say you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. That, that's the same consequences as murder carries. We, we, we need to, to think about this. We, we need to not be like the scribes and the Pharisees who feel 
all, all self-righteous and puffed up because, well, I've never gone out and killed someone. I've never had an abortion. We, we need to lay, uh, level this playing field a little bit. I, I think we need to see all of us as absolutely depraved and utterly under God's condemnation. He'll be liar, liable to the hell of fire. And so I, I, I just want you to think about this. You don't have to answer out loud. Have you ever held on to bitterness and refused to truly forgive someone? That, that, that's a hatred. Have you ever hurled insults at your sibling, your spouse, or that person who cuts you off on the interstate? You know, from the safety of your windows up car, it's easy to, to yell insults, but th th this is that, this hatred, this, ugh. Have you ever felt superior to others? That's the idea behind Jesus saying, you know, you who say you fool. Have you ever felt superior to others, demeaning their value and worth in your heart? Jesus says all of that in God's eyes is murder each and every time you do it. And the consequences are the same of that as that of murder, liable to the hell of fire. I'll tell you, it was just an interesting week for me studying this and thinking about it, of just thinking how often in my life I have uh, committed this murder in God's eyes. While the consequences right here, right now, the temporal consequences for my murder are not the same as physical murder, before God it is the same and deserves hell. I don't know if there's a, a just busted magazine at the pearly gates but my, 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 my mugshot's in it, if, if there is one. And I, I'm assuming, if you're honest with yourself, that you could say the same about you. We need to feel the weight of our sin. We need to feel the weight of our, our anger, our bitterness, our unforgiveness, our self-superiority. We need to feel the weight of what this means before God. I, I should mention, by the way, the, the, the horror is much the same. God has commanded us to be loving and forgiving. He has commanded us to think, consider others more highly than ourselves, to look not only to our interests, but also to the interests of others. He's commanded us to, to love one another with brotherly affection. He's commanded us to outdo one another in showing honor. And so again, we're, we're directly going against God's authority when, even when our murder is from the heart. We're also going against God's image. Uh, James 3.9, I don't have it up there, but James 3.9 says this, with our tongue, we bless, bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. And that's what James is talking about. You know, if you have studied the book of James much, the epistle of James, he, he talks much about the tongue, how we use our mouths, how it is a fire that, that sets ablaze a, a whole field. And that's what he's talking about with the tongue. He says, we, we bless God with it and then we strike someone. We stab them with the sword of our tongue, a person who is made in the likeness, in the image of God. It is, again, a dishonoring of God's image, even when it's just murder from our heart. This is, again, a, a weighty matter. This is us standing condemned before God deserving damnation, eternal damnation. 
But what we now need to see that we, we need to, to hold, we need to remember our guilt. We need to see the hope for murderers. There is hope. There is healing. There, there is change that can take place for murderers like you and me. Whether it be physical murder that we've committed or only murder from the heart, there is hope. And in a word, our hope is Jesus. Have you ever thought about this? That because there were murderers all in this world, the world is filled with violence. Jesus gave himself to be murdered. This is the first thing I want to talk about. Jesus gave himself to be murdered. I don't know if you've ever thought of it in that frame of reference that Jesus was murdered. Acts 7.52, Stephen, as he's trying to share the gospel, said, oh, yeah, there it is. Uh, he says this. He says, the righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murdered. They, by the way, stone him. They murder him as well, but Jesus was murdered, the righteous one, Jesus, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. He had committed no wrong. They tried to, to make up charges even about him, but none could stick. The law of God and the law of the government said that Jesus should be set free, yet they put him to death, and that is murder. And you say, well, okay, Jesus was murdered, but what's that have to do with it? Well, we'll look at this uh, in John 10 there. Jesus said this, 10, 18, no one takes, <clears throat> excuse me, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down. He's talking about his life, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. Okay. So Jesus is saying, I, I, no, one, no one takes my life from me. Well, isn't that the definition of murder? Not, not when you're God the Son, not when you have authority over all the world. Jesus, according to the gospel accounts, was in complete control of his own murder. We know that, that he told his disciples several times, I will be betrayed, I will be put to death, and I'll rise again on the third day. But I mean, he knows he's going to be put to death. In John 13, at the Last Supper, Jesus says to Judas, what you do, go and do quickly. He knew the one who was to betray him. Then when Jesus was betrayed in the garden there, you know, uh, Peter uh, takes the, the sword and cuts off uh, one of the people's ears. And Jesus says, put away your sword. Don't you know that I could ask my father and he would send 12 legions of angels to rescue me? Jesus' point is, don't you know that I'm in control right now? Yes, Judas has betrayed me. Yes, these religious hypocrites and even these government people are, are here to, to murder me, but I'm in control. So in some way, Jesus' murder, his willing death, has to do with our hope. And this is the second movement that I want to show you. Jesus was murdered so we could be forgiven. Jesus gave himself to be murdered so that murderers from the heart or possibly physically like you and I could be forgiven 
for our murder and for all our other horrible sins. I'll just give you two short passages here. This is John 10. This is the same chapter where Jesus says, I lay it down of my own accord, knowing I have authority. Uh, He says this, the thief, that's Satan, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Do you see the contrast Jesus is putting there? Satan has come into this world only to steal from us and to kill, to bring death, eternal damnation. But I have come that you could have life. Sinners like, like me, like you could have life and have it abundantly. He says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down, that is willingly gives himself up to be murdered. He was put to death so that we could have life. Again, just to to help you see this, Matthew 26, 28, this is at the institution of the Lord's Supper just before Jesus was arrested and murdered. He said this, this is is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. We should feel guilty. We, we, we should know that, that our, our, our sin of physical or even just murder from the heart deserves damnation, that it deserves God's condemnation. It deserves wrath forever. But Jesus gave himself to be murdered so that murderers like you and I could be forgiven, that our record would be wiped clean, not guilty, is stamped on us. And in fact, the righteousness of Christ is stamped on us. We are given his record of perfection. This is the forgiveness in Christ. And this is the only hope for murderers. There's no, there's no other option. Jesus, we saw this last week, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. There is no other way for us to be forgiven of, of our hatred or even of the ways we physically murdered another but it is there in Christ. His murder, his giving himself up to be murdered is sufficient for our forgiveness. There is no one out of reach because he bore our sin on the cross. But as great as that is, it's not all that Jesus has for murderers like us. Because what, what good would it do to be forgiven of our murderous hearts and actions only to continue on? with our murderous hearts and actions. But that's not where Jesus leaves us. And this is the third movement here of the hope for murderers. Jesus was murdered so we could be transformed. He gave himself up to be murdered. He was murdered so we could be forgiven and he was murdered so we could be transformed. Again, just some beautiful passages. I had way too many of these that I had to delete um, as I was preparing this, but here are just a couple. First Peter 1, 18 to 19, you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. That's our sin nature. That's the, the sins we commit, with perish, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So the idea of ransom, it, it's different than a sacrifice. 
He's saying this isn't a ransom that was paid by silver or gold. This was a ransom that was paid by the blood of Jesus. So again, don't, don't think just sacrifice, think ransom here. Well, what's a ransom? A ransom is to buy someone back who is imprisoned, who is in bondage, right? And this is what Jesus did with his blood. He, with his precious blood, his sinless blood, he ransomed us from our futile ways. That means he bought us out of our bondage. Then we see uh, in the next chapter of Peter, 1 Peter 2, 24 and 25, or maybe it's just 24, I don't know. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Why? That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And this is the hope for murderers like us, is that we don't have to stand condemned before God like we do deserve. We can have forgiveness in Jesus and we don't have to continue in our murderous ways. We can be transformed by Jesus. He ransoms us. He causes us to die to sin. What does that mean to die to sin? To say, I will not continue in those ways anymore. That hatred, that animosity, that enmity, that unforgiveness, that that self-righteousness, that selfishness, that superiority. I am not going to walk in those anymore. But it's not just dying to sin, right? What's it say next? And to live to righteousness. That means we are putting on love. It means we are putting on humility. It means we are putting on grace and forgiveness and forbearance and, and building one another up, not just abstaining from murderous uh, actions or attitudes, but you actually put on love. This is the hope for murderers. We're talking 180 degree transformation. And this is what Jesus offers us. You shall not murder. Murder is horrible. It's against God's authority. It's against God's image, even as it wrecks humanity. All of us are murderers, if not physical murder, but from our heart. Hatred, superiority, unforgiveness. But there is hope in Jesus. On that day, he had murderers like you and me on his mind. And he went there, Father, forgive them. Right? Father, forgive them. And he laid down his life to take the punishment we deserve for our murder and all our other sins. And through his resurrection and then through our, our faith in him, through trusting in him, by his grace, he transforms us. And so I, I want to try to apply this to your hearts before we leave this morning. If you have not come to Jesus in repentance and faith, then you stand right now and will stand condemned. His wrath will not be light. His punishment for murder is far greater than our capital punishment because his lasts forever. Because it's a greater sin than the one we judge with our law system. It's a sin not only against another human, it's a sin against God, his authority, his image. And so I, I wanna say to you, you may not feel like a bad person. You may not feel like one of those murderers who need, needs Jesus. But if you heard anything today, hear this. You are one of those bad people. And you desperately need Jesus. 
And he stands there with open arms saying, come to me that you may have your sins blotted out, that I can make you white as snow. 1 John uh, 1, 8 and 9, I don't know if I have this or not. No. 1 John 1, 8 and 9 says this to you. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. You're in trouble if you say you have no sin. If, however, we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He will forgive you. He will transform you. But you can't act like you don't have any sin. You can't act like you've never had a murderous heart. You won't go to the doctor if you don't believe you are sick. But we are all desperately soul sick if we've not yet come to Jesus. Second application I want to give you. If you've trusted in Jesus, remember who you are in Christ. Remember that you have been forgiven. That's one thing I want you to remember. Remember that you have been forgiven because there is healing, right? By his wounds, we are healed. Remember what Jesus did on the cross, that he took the punishment you deserve for your sins. That whatever you did, whatever physical or heart murder you've committed, there is healing in Christ. He wants to comfort you, not to tell you that your sin was okay, but to tell you that he accepts you and loves you and has forgiven it. That it is as far away from his eyes as the east is from the west. There is healing And I would say this in addition, if you've trusted in Jesus, make sure you're walking in this new life. For these good works that he prepared for us beforehand, that we should walk in them. I I have known, I I hate to even call them Christians because I don't know. I I have known Christians, quote unquote, who, who wanted to put the Holy Spirit out of a job. Because they, they, they wanted to, to punish. They wanted to, to make people pay. They wanted to be the one who points out everyone's sins. And there's this bitterness. There's this hatred. There's this disdain uh, in their hearts. And they, and they say, well, I'm just standing up for justice and righteousness. And I say, well, God is justice and God is righteousness. But the fruit of the Spirit is <laughs> love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Like, like you're missing something. And so I just want to say to you, put on Put on the love that Jesus has purchased for you. You don't have to walk in these, these hate-filled ways. I don't know if there's someone that you're holding bitterness against today. Maybe you need to forgive them. Know that it is your duty before God to forgive them. His authority, His image. God wants you to forgive, at least extend forgiveness to that person. Maybe you're prone to outbursts of anger wrath poured out on our kids we poured out on our spouse co-workers who whatever repent of that sin and that means not just confessing it but turning from it by god's power by god's grace that is murder we're to put on love and i would say that is the greatest uh weapon against our murder is to put on the love of jesus he has poured it into our hearts romans 5 5 i think the holy spirit has poured his love into our hearts you have it in there if you're truly a christian Pour it out on others. Let people know that you have a supernatural loving power in you. Do not murder. But we see the command for Christians is love, honor, serve one another, and do it for God's glory in his name. One more thing. The most loving thing you can do, the most opposite of murder you can possibly do is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with another person. Everyone's going to die one day, whether or not you murder them. I hope you don't. 
but everyone is going to die and everyone is going to face judgment. And so the, the furthest opposite thing we could do from murder is to share the love of Jesus, come what may. Persecution, they, they may hurt us, they may hate us, make fun of us, whatever. That is the most loving thing you could possibly do for them is to share our need because of sin, the separation, the hell we deserve, and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is how God makes us his ambassadors, his agents of life instead of death, instead of murder. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that it so powerfully uncovers the truth about us. It reveals the depth of our need. And God, I am just so thankful today that with your commands and with the recognition that we have broken, horrifically broken your commands, such as this one of murder, you give us hope in Jesus Christ. What an amazing God you are. That instead of giving us what our sin deserves, Jesus took that upon himself to forgive us and to free us from our patterns of sin. And now, God, we get to live for your glory and for the good of others. What an amazing honor. What an amazing blessing. And you help us find our deepest joy and satisfaction as we walk in your ways, as we seek to serve you, as we seek to, to love you and to love others. Oh God, make it true in our lives today. Make us not just those who don't commit murder, but those who commit amazing acts of love in your name. And God, if there's anyone who needs Jesus, needs this salvation, has not yet come to him with their sin exposed, begging for that forgiveness, Lord, would you push them that way today? Would you, would you hear them as they cry out? Would you forgive them? Would you make them new? It is a glorious miracle that you do each and every time you save a soul. And God, we want to see it happen in our midst. Lord, we pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior and our only hope. Amen. Amen. Please stand and join me as we praise the Lord on our way out. We have a lot to be thankful for because <laughs> we got a lot of sin that's been forgiven. The victory has been given to us and not just forgiveness, but transformation. I am excited to do life with you guys.
I am because God is so good. He's forgiving continually. By the way, I, I'm not talking about like he forgives our, our past murders. I'm talking about my ones yesterday and my ones today. I mean, he's continually good. He's forgiving and, and he can continually transform us into his loving image. And so I'm excited to, to walk through this Christian life with you and know that I am here for you. Uh, if any of you want to talk more about this, if you need uh, someone to talk to about you know, what it is to forgive someone that you're struggling to forgive. If you want to know what it is to, to, to lay aside your, your anger and to take on love and gentleness, I, I would love to talk with you. And um, so ju just let me know. Uh, we are here for you. You guys are going to hopefully, I think I've got to leave after this, but you guys are hopefully going to go to the, the fellowship lunch after. I don't know how much food will be in there. <laughs> it was a, a last minute thing. Uh, but I hope you'll do that, if, if nothing else, just to see uh, the Hattons and, and, and spend some time with them and uh, encourage them. But I'm going to pray and have God send us out. Father God, I have a smile on my face that is bigger because of my awareness of my own sin and the debt that was paid in Jesus Christ. And I have a big smile on my face because I'm excited that you're going to continue working uh, in all of our lives. You will bring it to completion, Paul says in Philippians. And we are excited about that, Lord. And we want to be used by you to bring life, especially eternal life, through this message of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Lord, would you do this through us, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. I love you all. Have a wonderful week.